Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Rene, great to have you on the show again this week. And Rene, we've just come off the phone with Simon, where we had a deep dive on the results of the Kerry Way Ultra. And we said that we do the same this week again, a slightly different format. We're, we're going to sacrifice the feature in-depth interview. And instead, Rene, we're going to take a deep dive on the Kerry Way Ultra from within the race, because you were down there racing the Ultra Light this weekend. Yeah, that's right, Owen. And I think it's. Uh, I think the race probably has earned its place in this slot. Um, I was my wife and my children. You know, travelled down with me to the race, and one of the things my wife said to me after was, because she was following along, you know, as my support crew. So they stopped at various places. Um, she said it was just wonderful to see something happening. You know, anything to, to see an actual event uh, with people excited about it you know both people in the race and you know random hikers at the various tourist locations in Kerry cheering people on you know and of course the you know the one the one support crew that was allowed but it was actually it was funny when she said it to me that we had nearly forgotten how it is when events of any kind happen in our society and it made it much a much bigger buzz than normally so I, yeah i think it's it's worth celebrating uh, that it happened and that they managed to pull it off in such a, a sensible you know and well-organized manner yeah that's what simon was saying many exactly as well and i suppose your own case of even competing in the carry way ultra it, it was a very good example of i'm sure what's happened to a lot of runners over the last six months one of your original races had been cancelled and the, the Kerry Way Ultra was, in the end, a very good plan B choice. You had to um, readapt your, your and, and change your training slightly. Yeah, I think when my race was the Eco Trail Geneva, um, which was in early June. So that was obviously a race that was cancelled um, with quite late notice, you know, for anyone who remembers the situation back in May. So I had done nearly all the training. And I, as I said, the same reaction that nearly everyone else has is, you know, how, how can we use some of this uh, effort uh, that I put in since I think I started this build up maybe January or February. Uh, so I was thinking, what, what can I do with it? You know, and you're always a bit in denial at first because it was very unclear what the situation was like. So I thought, oh, yeah, Ecotrail Stockholm is in three weeks. And that's, so that, that'll be a natural replacement. And then when I heard rumblings that that wasn't going to happen, I thought, oh, yeah, Eco, Ecotrail Reykjavik a few weeks later, that should be fine. Then. But then they were gone. And then it became clear that the whole summer was going to be very different. Um, so I just looked for something a bit further ahead. I thought September it, the world will be totally back to normal by September for sure. So I saw the carryway um, and I said, yeah, let's let's go for something local. Uh, and I, I have fond memories with the place anyway, Owen. Um, it used to be a place I would go annually before we had the kids. You know, we'd go running every every year. So I thought this, this is a good race. But as you know, then um, it turned out quite differently in that the what seemed like a surefire bet to go ahead um was actually hanging by a bit of a thread and Simon probably talked about that. So I don't know if I need to go into it more, Owen, yeah, or do no, you want we'll me to just talk about the training aspect? 
Yeah, no, we had a good chat with Simon just about uh, what Eileen had to go through. And I'm sure anybody that has been following the, the threads on Facebook and so on would have saw all the comments, all the supportive comments, some of the negative comments as well. A little bit of controversy here and there as well. But I think at the end of the day, from what you saw, from what Simon told us, they did everything that they could to ensure that the race went off safely. And in one way, it's great to see René as well, that despite all the challenges that were there, you went down with your family, with your small kids, and you were able to have a great weekend. Yeah, we certainly were. Like it was, uh, you know, schools have started in Ireland, so for us it was a bit of a logistical challenge because we had to basically go straight from primary school and then drive down. You know, and in normally for a big race like this, if I was to give recommendations to an athlete doing it, I would say go down at least a day in advance and preferably a few because it is always, you know, it's a four to five hour car drive and then straight into new surroundings. You know, noisy hotels and and all this. Um, that can be a little, you know, it can be kind of a suboptimal final day of preparation um, for a race. But, you know, we didn't have any choice, so we decided we're just going to deal with it. Um, and we had booked in a hotel in Kilani where the finish for the race is because I didn't want to be driving very far after the the event was over. But in hindsight, I could see that a lot of people, they had picked, you know, quieter uh, villages like Kenmea to go back to, which might be a better choice because you can get yourself kind of a quieter holiday home or a B&B where there's a little bit less noise, where the room you're staying in is a little bit more like your home um, than it is in a hotel. So, yeah. I, you know, that's that's just kind of going into the events. Uh, some of the things I myself would do different if uh, I was to go back. But obviously, anyone who, anyone who brings their family, you're very conscious that you want while you're out there running, the kids need to to be entertained, you know, and if you are a runner with family and kids, then generally hotels do the job because they're a little bit more friendly that way. Yeah, well, well let's maybe, Rene, go back in time a little bit. Um, your original race was cancelled. I'm sure maybe you went through a little bit of mourning maybe for a couple of days about oh, all this work and my race is cancelled. What am I going to do now? And maybe we, we can help the listeners who are going through maybe similar issues now where their race has been cancelled or even that at the end of the summer period. They're not too sure what to do next because there's no real fixed calendars yet. Imwer are still waiting to get their calendar up and running for the autumn. Um, the road racing scene as well, still a lot of question marks there. No Dublin Marathon, of course, but the, but the shining light is that a lot of small local races have been going on as well on the road running scene. So just how did you... How did you get on, Rennie, over the, say, the eight to ten week period where your original race was cancelled and you had to adjust your training to get ready for the Kerryway Ultra? It was kind of a matter of looking at how I felt at the time um, and how best to, to keep a hold of the fitness I had gained. Because basically the problem I had, which I'm sure is similar to what a lot of other people experience, is once you get into peak shape and you're just about to to face your race, you are actually quite close to a breaking point as well. And, and certainly that's the way I construct my own training because you have just about in April, I reached my peak mileage, for instance. That's when the really big weeks uh, with the very, very long runs um, for the particular event happened. And that meant I was going into May 
with slightly reducing the volume, you know, starting to try and get the body a little bit fresher. And then I was going to have this big effort in the first weekend of June. And both mentally and physically, I could feel that I was reaching the, the limits um, and that I needed and was looking forward to two or three weeks of just doing really nearly nothing and relaxing after that uh, Geneva Eco Trail. So obviously the moment the race didn't happen, I had all this, um, I had the fitness to use, but I know where to turn it, but also the fatigue was there. So the body didn't feel, you know, I, I kind of felt like I needed a break, but at the same time, once I decided I'm going to pick a later race, I couldn't take a three or four week break. You know, I felt that would be too long um, that I would lose too much of the fitness. Um, and what I did is basically first a quick refresh. And I would say that to anyone who had their race canceled, that's happening here in September. If you've been kind of putting your body through a lot of training for a long time now, take one or two weeks, just general refresh, you know, focus, nothing too long, nothing too hard the volume for the weeks, keep it fairly low, treat yourself a bit better in all other aspects of your life. Um, and just try and see if you can get a little bit of a sense of rejuvenation and, and a pickup in motivation again. If two weeks doesn't do it, you know, maybe then you have no choice but to turn to three or four weeks at this stage. Because I see it with a lot of my clients as well, Owen. We, we might have had a race two months ago, then we had to push that another month into the future and then another month. And that means the target keeps moving. And you can only keep doing that for so long before something inside yourself just says, now it's enough. You promised me a break and I'm having it. Um, and that's how I feel right now. Finally, having gotten through it, it's such a relief um, to see for the next three weeks, I don't really need to live my life with the same level of discipline and train with the same level of, of motivation and discipline as well. You know, I can just kind of cut it down and focus on other things and just rejuvenate. Um, but in terms of the actual training, once I had refreshed, I decided to um, to do two things. We had a club league in my case for with races just for the club athletes over the summer. You know, so there were small little events that were following the, the rules that were in place, but that, that allow me to have a competitive out, outlet. So anything like that can help, you know, if you have that around yourself at this stage, you know, like some of the road races that are now coming back online, you know, maybe next month park runs or something is going to begin come back. Maybe you have club races because there are quite a lot of them as well. I can see when I look online. If you don't have that, then obviously the, the key is just to figure out what, what is your training base now? What have you kept a hold of? And I knew I had reasonably good endurance. I had done a lot of really, really long and steep hills. And I also said to myself, well, was there anything you neglected in the first training buildup that maybe you can polish off in these last two months that you now have to spare, so to speak? And I did notice because of the lockdown and because I was locked down on a mountainside, I'd done very little flat running. So I decided to add in a lot more of that in the final period. But Owen, it really was just a case of taking aspects of the training I already had and putting it on the simmer and just trying to maintain a certain training level as long as I could um to hold on to the fitness um you know yeah. for another what was it was actually three months extra sure and it's great to hear Rene, that you got to do some of those local races the, the local wicklow races there because i think it's so important as well just to enjoy our running as well and not just to have one big goal that's three months away and then we forget about everything else that you got down to Wicklow, you got down running with club mates, running with friends, 
And it's so important, I think, to have that social contact. And um, because if we're off doing long training runs on our own the whole time, you know, that can have a draining effect as well. So even though I'm sure training for a 58K, running a couple of 5K road races mightn't be maybe the ideal thing to do in, in some respect, but from a mental and social point of view, I'm sure you had great fun doing those races. Yeah, no, it was fantastic, you know, and uh, it, I, because it's, you know, as I said, it was an outlet both socially and physically and competitively. And it's so easy, you know, if I was to look at the runs we did for the club, it was old traditional Imra races like Ska and Broca and some routes we have that we've made up ourselves down here. If you look at them from a physiological standpoint, they were entirely the wrong type of training for the event I was training for. Um, and certainly because we had nine races in the series and I ended up doing eight of them. You, you know, if I was that person's coach, I would say that's too many races where you are stimulating the anaerobic metabolism and, you know, the, the glycolytic, the sugar-based system for a person who's training for an ultra, uh, especially in the last two months. So in a way you could say, oh, it's a training mistake um, that I'm conducting. But I chose to look at it this way that, you know, you can't only make decisions on what is the right physiology you know some because also with the situation we were in carry could be cancelled you know no one knew what was going to happen two weeks down the line so i felt i want something out of my running next week and a week after and and you know if that maybe takes a few percent off the actual ultra performance uh, that i can't correct it enough in the last four weeks then so be it because i did know one thing oh and i was i wasn't going to win the race anyway yeah exactly and um... The, the, the thought comes to me really that if you, if you have it, use it before you lose it. So while you're injury free, while you're fit, get out there and enjoy some races as well. Now, that can't always be done, but, you know, it's about just maximizing the fitness that you have. And um, that maybe brings us, Rene, up to race day itself. Um, you got through your change of plans. You got through all those local little fast races and you got through your long runs and you're there on the start line. One question, Rene, that I wanted to ask was... Did the external stressors and um, pressures of COVID-19 around race day with wearing masks, with the uncertainties of whether the race would go ahead or not, did that weigh on your shoulders in any way, Rennie? Because unfortunately, the way things are going, it looks like we're going to be racing over the next maybe five to six months with the shadow of COVID-19 lurking behind us. So did that in any way um, have any negative impact, Rene, as you stepped up to the start line from a mental point of view? Yeah, probably it did. Maybe not quite in the way that it, it does for some, because essentially, you know, when when I look at the situation, um, I'm quite engaged with the whole thing in terms of the opinions I hold about um, the way the situation is being managed. <laughs> I'm very passionate about, you know, what we do, how it will affect the future and my kids, um, you know, things like that. And that means that I, I was investing in the last two or three months before the race a lot of energy in in the whole situation. I think that's the best way I can put it um, without going into a discussion about the thing itself. And I think I have other runners I know who are similarly engaged and we actually made a pact going into the race. We said we will not talk about anything related to COVID for the next few days. You know, we really need to switch off uh, and just try and forget that we are in the middle of a very strange situation um, and disinvest from it. So for me, that was the main thing, Owen, is I think I was too emotionally and invested in, in, in trying to be a part of the conversation uh, around what should be done next. 
And that, I think that that's, it's the same for anyone who trains for any race where you have a lot of commitment. So I, I used to train a lot of IT professionals and still do. Uh, and a lot of them have very demanding jobs. And it's a little bit of a similar thing. If you put a lot of your competitive and your general kind of energy into other aspects of life, it can affect your race situation. So I was feeling a general feeling of being strung out over the summer. Um, and I wasn't I couldn't tell you what proportion of that was because of the overall situation and what part of that was because, you know, it was three months of training that I didn't expect to have to do on top of the initial five months. I could just feel that the body was reaching a point where it it didn't want to take any more effort out. So I, that weighed on the mind going into the race that would there be a reaction to that at some stage. Um, but that was really my only concern. And sure. Well, a great um, tip that, that I used to um, do, Rene, before my races, when I worked in Bank of Ireland, I worked in Bank of Ireland for nine years. And before any important race, whether it was, say, the Dublin Marathon, for example, or a championship race with my club at Farnham, I would actually take the Friday off work um, to avoid any potential stressful situations in work and just essentially have... 24 hours, 48 hours, stress-free before race day. And the difference it made was incredible. And I absolutely got the benefit of it. So I think it is a great piece of advice. You mentioned it there. You and your friends, you agreed not to talk about COVID-19. And I think we can we can all definitely take that forward into the autumn racing season. That if we have a race coming up, just don't look at the news for the 24 hours beforehand if we can. And if you have the, the luxury to be able to do it, Take the day off work beforehand if you can as well. Yeah, I think you. this comes into one of the most um, least understood, I think, points about performance today because, you know, we all grew, most of people who grew up uh, reading training books for the last 20 years, We they know a lot about physiology. But in the last 10 years or so, fatigue and performance is understood much more in the context of what the brain does, you know. Um, and that means how we perceive fatigue and what drives our perception of, of fatigue. And one thing with modern life that is so problematic is that we can constantly inflict stresses on ourselves. Because really, let's imagine a situation. If I was, for the last month, if I had turned off every uh, radio and television and website, my email account, everything, um, and had just gone about my day I wouldn't really know that there is um, anything stressful going on around me. You know, it wouldn't be apparent. And that would mean I would just relax because there wouldn't be any, you see, for us as humans, you know, the, the stress is created by how we perceive things. So that means if I read something online that upsets me, I get a stress response. And that triggers what's called a sympathetic nervous system response, which is fight or flight. Which is, it, it's, it's a good thing, obviously, that we have this because if you need it, it's handy. But when you have nowhere to let this uh, hormonal and aggressive response go, then it basically just gets stuck inside the system and it causes all sorts of health problems and it just drains, you know, your reservoir of energy um, without doing anything productive because you're not really running away from any problem. You're not really solving a problem. You're just sitting they're taking it is, is the best way I can put it. So saying even once this whole situation blows off, if I could say a good a good piece of advice to any endurance athletes who needs to be fresh in the mind ahead of a race is reduce your exposure to all social media and media in general. You know, you really will thank yourself because it media is stressful. 
Yeah, especially social media. <laughs> yes, especially. Turn, turn off um, those Facebook and Instagram accounts. But listen, we, we've touched on the mental side of things. Let's get into the actual kilometres and the race route itself, Rene. Um, how did the body respond physically over the 58k? Yes, it was a very strange day for me personally. Um, as you know, I think everyone's race, especially these long races, there's going to be one key moment in the race where that everything turns around and that dictates the outcome of the whole day. Um, and for me, it was very unusual because we basically in Sneem, where our race started, you know, it's a nice little village and we were started off in waves uh, of 15 people. Um, but the organizers decided, because the waves were flowing so well, they decided that they could contract the time that they sent people out on a little bit. And some of us got caught out in a slight bit of confusion around that. So by the time I set off, I was actually in the last wave, um, setting off several minutes after the leaders. You know, And I didn't really feel like I needed to give the leaders um, you know, a head start. But <laughs> there we were, you know, four of us setting off as the last people on the road. Uh, it felt perfectly comfortable the pace was you know slower even than i would probably have gone out for initially i just said take it handy um and th and things will be well you know work your way in it's such a it's such a long time to be out there and then at about 40 minutes in i was chatting away to this polish runner uh, and i just got struck with a very strange sensation um that i can only describe as similar to a panic attack um like my chest kind of caved in on me I struggled to breathe, um, but if I looked at the heart rate monitor, the heart rate was quite low. It, it, it actually dropped from being too high early on to being in the 120s. Um, and from that point on, I kind of started to lose control of the situation for a bit. Um, I couldn't keep running. I had to drop my pace right down, you know, from running around at five minutes per kilometer to eight. <laughs> and um, eventually came to a stop. And at this stage, the, the thought, my first thought was, you can't keep running like this because it doesn't feel right at all. You'll probably have to drop out. And thankfully, then there was immediately a counterthought, which was you dragged Eva and the kids all the way down here just to call them after an hour to tell them to pick you up on the side of the road somewhere between Sneem and Templeno. So I said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and then I thought, I also have to sit and talk about this race with Owen on Monday morning and I can you know if I have to tell him just about 40 minutes it's going to be a pretty poor talk so it, it was kind of fascinating that although I was in I was actually a little bit frightened uh, because of this unusual situation or you know, this kind of loss of control and um, but at the same time these external pressures helped me get into a problem solving kind of mode of operation if you want that I started thinking from all the knowledge I have garnered over the years what could this be you know what is it and try and see can you solution it out here on the course and eventually i kind of whittled it down to to four possible options i said it could be hypoglycemia which is high blood sugar it could be a hyponatremia which is low blood salt and it could be too much caffeine uh, maybe too early in the morning because i had two cups of tea and a cup of coffee over for three hours because it was quite a late start for this race yeah um and the final thing then that occurred to me is um could it be some kind of stress reaction because i did have what's called i, I have what's called hypercapnia on which is um a panic attack i have only had it once in my lifetime but apparently once it happens to you once you could be prone to do it again. It basically means that you over breathe. So you get in too much CO2 and your body kind of starts cramping up 
and you it, it's a stress response gone wild essentially it's something that happens when the sympathetic nervous system is too overactive for one reason or another um, so on the day itself, I obviously didn't have time to go through, you know, a scientific study to figure out what it was, but I just tried a few things. I tried to breathe my way out of it. That didn't really work. I noticed it got a bit better when I talked to the other athletes around me. So I thought, could that be the breathing or could it be because I'm more relaxed when I talk? And then eventually this lady called Margaret, so I want to thank her, um, she asked me, can I do anything for you? Do you need any help? And I said, no, I don't want you to ruin your race but do you have a bag of crisps? And uh, thankfully for me, she had one. So I said, can you spare it? And she said she could. So I took the bag of crisps. I ate it up on a bench. And then I slowly started moving again. And within five, maybe 10 minutes of that, the body actually felt normal. So this very strange reaction kind of evened out. Uh, and that set the tone for the whole day, you know, so this was kind of on the one hand, it was very satisfying that I had solutioned the problem. I got a bit of, I was fearful, if I can use that word for the next yeah. few hours that it would recur, you know, so I really watched everything I did, like under a microscope, I was careful what I drank, I was careful what I ate, you know, I would only take small sips, I would only take the tiniest nibble of something because I didn't want to trigger some kind of strange reaction that I couldn't control. Yeah. Um, you know, but as the hours passed and the confidence came back, uh, I got a salt tablet after this. It's the only other guy I'll call out, Owen, I promise. But it's a guy called Ronan. I just want to thank him as well because he gave me a salt tablet on yeah. the climb up the main hill before Kenmea. Um, so I'm not, you know, I cannot say for sure it helped. It certainly didn't harm me. Um, but I took them. And th that kind of was, that changed everything in terms of the approach to the race. Because going into the race, I thought, well, I'm going to aim for this part of the field. I'm going to try and mull along and then come strong, come through strong if I can in the second part. But once this situation happened, my only goal was fix this situation, get back on some kind of even keel, and then just try and do your best to complete in the best possible time that remains to you. So that's kind of how I switched the focus. And, you know, if anyone else can learn anything from it, I suppose it is just you know, have some backup plans for the problems you encounter. Try and see, don't panic if something happens that you didn't prepare for, you know, try and do some cold analysis and don't be afraid to reset your goals in the middle of the race because I know it's hard, you know, there's a lot of DNFs in these races, you know, I, and I said I nearly became one myself uh, before it had even started. Um, but quite often, I think if you can reset your goal early enough, you will still be able to complete uh, and I know with respect to some of the high-profile names who didn't make it through, I know that the elite athletes approach these events differently. Um, for them, they they go out, they tend to go out hard, a high-risk strategy. And if it doesn't pay off, they often retire simply because th this is the strategy for them. You know, it is they go for a competitive spot or it's bust. And for them, it's often the better choice to pull out because they have nothing to prove you know, they've done it all before and they are often trying to preserve their energy, you know, for another competitive effort. You know, they lost this battle, but they're going to come back for another one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like a very good tip for our listeners to have, Renny, to have a plan A, B and C and to visualize those plans before race day, that you have your optimum race and you literally sit down maybe a couple of times before race day for 10 minutes on your own and you visualize that plan A happening. 
But then you also visualize a plan B and a plan C where maybe you have a physical problem. Maybe yeah, the body feels tired, it feels exhausted, or you have an injury issue where you go over on, on an ankle and you work out solutions for them as well. So you're not just going down, as you said, with one option for this race that you've thought through the different options that might happen. Um, and just to give things time, as you did there, you, you had that issue at 40 minutes but you managed to stay within control and just slowly work things out. And thankfully, over an ultra trail race like that, um, you're, it's not like a road marathon where you're consistently looking at the watch. And imagine if that really would have happened in, say, the Dublin Marathon. I can only imagine the extra stress that you would have felt by looking at your watch from going from whatever it might be, from six-minute miling or seven-minute miling down to eight or nine minute miling. Imagine if, it if that had happened during a road marathon. Yeah, it's nearly, I think that that's the beauty of these trail races and the long ultras in particular, is that you actually have something to fall back on that you can take with you after the event. And because in the road marathon, if you have a certain time in mind and that's what your training was geared towards and you have such a big mishap as I had here, there is no way you can rectify that situation within the framework of a road marathon because all you might be able to do is to jog the rest and and you could say what satisfaction will you really gain from that maybe a little bit to say well you know i am a, a hard bastard forgive my language you know i saw it through but but beyond that there isn't much um whereas i i actually felt in retrospect that i I can see now, you know, a bit like you, Owen, I'm not primarily an ultra guy. You know, I, I have a, a love for speed, even if I'm not as fast as you. And that's the sort of racing that excites me the most, and it still does. Um, but there, there was a great satisfaction in when you have these difficulties, and it seems like in ultra races, these difficulties always appear in one form or the other. You get a little glimpse of what type of person can you be when you're put under pressure do you just cave in and panic or are you able to step back rationalize and work through it and i think you know whether it's obviously maybe over dramatizing it because it's not life or death but i still think a lot of people who find themselves in these situations in ultra races that's one of the appealing things about this type of competition that you can take these little things away the sense of satisfaction that you can problem solve under pressure and and that completing itself of course is an achievement um because it is easy in many places to pull out you know when you come to like we came to beautiful Khmer which you probably know well Owen you know it's one of the most scenic spots in Ireland and uh, my wife was there my kids were there the cold water was there the clean shoes you know, it, it would have been very easy. I was suffering from cramps at that stage, which might have been um, kind of an after effect on the earlier mishap. It was very tempting to stop. It really was. But the, the desire to complete this project and, you know, to to be able to say, well, I at least I did what I set out to in the most basic form. I, I conquered this challenge of the race. Um, that drove that was enough to drive me onwards for the final uh, three and a bit hours. Whereas in a road marathon, I think that must be that is very difficult. Once your time goal is gone, is it really enough to say I'll 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 drag my rear side over this finish line no matter what? I, I'm not quite sure it is. I think trail races have a definite advantage there. Yeah, and I suppose on a road marathon as well, you're just running on cold, hard, black tarmac. Where in a trail race like that. 
you're in the middle of beautiful nature and superb scenery um, all around the Ring of Kerry. Uh, maybe just briefly, Rene, a, a quick review of the course. Um, I saw some of the photographs online. It, it looks spectacular. Yeah, when you, as I said, I've been away from Kerry for a few years and this was a real reminder why we used to come a lot. You know, it certainly isn't overrated. Yeah. And the course itself is quite interesting because the Kerry Way um, has a lot of really interesting sections. There's a lot of variety of terrain. Um, early on, the route was kind of, you know, nice little uh, grassy dirt trails and country roads and forest paths. But then later on, you know, you had this very boggy mountain. Um, it's called Gordner Mullen just before Kenmare, which was nearly like a little hill race that had just been thrown in into the middle. And then you had a section uh, where there was a lot of rock, you know, before Talk Waterfall, which a lot of people know. The vast majority of those kilometers are extremely rocky. Um, so you there's and there's many other terrains here that I, I won't even go into. And if you've done the full Carryway Ultra, you could obviously describe even more. So you get both this variety of underfoot, which keeps challenging you along with the gradients. And you have the spectacular scenery um, you have the sea as a companion for so much of the race. You know, it's nearly always on your right hand side until the final turn up towards Kilani, uh, which is anyway one of the best stretches because you have, you know, these kind of raw and dramatic carry mountains. You know, they're, they're not like my, as you'd say, my own, but the, the green Wicklow Mountains around here. You know, anyone who's been down there knows that, that they have a, a slightly more kind of alpine quality. Um, and then you finish running into the kind of lush parkland of Mokros um, and into the city. So it really offers a lot. And there's three race distances for people to pick from. Um, so you can work your way through this challenge over the years. Um, it's a real kind of grassroots events. You know, you, you, you get the feeling that you're part of, of a, an event run by locals. Um, you know, for the love of the sport uh, and not for anything else. And, you know, I think that's always a very appealing thing about a race. So, but at the same time, it was, I wouldn't, I haven't done many of the big ultras, you know, internationally. I've done the Lakeland 50 in, in the Lake District. Um, and, you know, Carryway, it's, it's doesn't have the same amount of age stations, but other than that, it's just as professionally run. You know, you really couldn't, uh, you, I don't think there would be many athletes who ran it who, are dissatisfied with the organization. In fact, I'd probably be surprised if there were any. Sure. Well, listen, Renny, well done on your race results as well, because despite those troubles that you have, I'm looking at the results um, here, and you finished in a very commendable seven hours, 28 minutes. And just to give the range from the winner, uh, which was John Kyo in five hours, three minutes, and then you had people still coming in after 11 hours or so so you're up well up there any in the top half so despite troubles that you had that you had great strength and determination to get to the finish line in that time of seven hours 28 minutes which brings us on maybe Rennie to the next point of post-race recovery because I know we were speaking just quickly on on um, what's up on Sunday and you said that you were out just walking around with your family and I bet that was nearly a, a, a pre-planned strategy, Rene, to help the body recover. Because I know from talking to other ultra athletes over the last couple of months, it's actually a practice that a lot of people use that the day after the race, far from putting their feet up on the sofa and just vegging out for the day, I see more and more trail runners, marathon runners, the very best athletes actually taking the decision to go walking the next day to help the body recover. 
Yeah, there seems to be a big healing effect of walking. I, I learned this just from experience at first after the Lakeland 50, incidentally, because we were in the beautiful Lake District. My wife went out running the day after the race. And although I was sore, I thought, I, I don't want to just sit in the B&B and look into the walls. So I just walked around town and the parks. And it, it made a, a huge difference because within four weeks of that 50 miler, I ran a half marathon personal best. So to me, it just showed that it, it got me onto the recovery curve really, really quickly. And obviously, you know, in the years after that, I became very interested in studying biomechanics and I learned various things about human recovery that, you know, help make sense of this. But even without knowing that, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense to, because you, you need blood flow and, you know, a flow of energy within the body for healing processes to happen. So if you just passively lie down, none of that is going to occur. Um, so for us, yeah, it, it, and it actually worked on in this incident as well, because as I said, I was walking quite badly uh, about half an hour after the race. Um, and I was very, very stiff in on Sunday morning. But after having walked in two different places, we stopped with the kids. The legs were nearly, I wouldn't say rejuvenated, but there was a massive difference. And this morning again, uh, it, it, there's a world of difference. Like I, I am actually surprised how quickly they have recovered, especially given all the cramping I suffered, you know, which is a little bit traumatic to the muscles. So it, it, it is definitely something to do. Um, do as much walking as you can fit in, you know, don't go overboard. There's no need to go out and do, you know, 10 kilometers up a hill, you know, even 20, 30 minutes just walking around a park will, will do wonders. And the other things I did was this thing called resistance. Um, it's kind of resistance stretching, but not really. So I have this little TheraBand, which you probably know, Owen. It's these very small elastic bands. They look like they're nearly too short to, to use for anything. Um, but you can basically wrap them around any joint that you have, and then you can slowly move your joint against the resistance of that band. Um, so I was using them in the evening because I was lying in the bed and I, I felt like I could barely move the legs. They were like logs. So I just took the band against, uh, for instance, wrapped it around my foot and moved the leg through, you know, a gentle range of motions against that light resistance that the band provides. And again, for me, the theory I have read and what I've experienced in practice tells me that when a muscle has been traumatized by one type of exercise, like running, it basically means that the muscle fibers are stuck in a certain position because they've been traumatized by this repetitive strain. So when you do another exercise, whether it's running or whether it's this kind of gentle resistance against the muscle, it actually helps make those fibers unstuck. So you normalize the length relationship or a t length tension relationship, it's called of these muscle fibers. And you in this process, presumably, you know, we release a lot of the junk that it gets stuck in muscles when we have exercised hard, you know, some of the waste products of metabolism and, and stress. So for me, those were the two key things, the walking and the exercise. And I also did my customary, I sat down in the hotel bathtub and it was cold. And when mm -hmm. I was finished with the, with the cold tub, I made it warm, not not very, very hot, just kind of nice, comfortable hot. And then I just sat down and relaxed for 10 minutes, you know, just really let the brain turn off. And, th and that was my main recovery routine. You know, there's a few other bits and bobs, you know, eating the, the right things and, yeah. and stuff like that. But for me, I think in the first few days when you're very sore, even stuff like a sports massage can be nearly too traumatic. You know, I know some people go straight to a sports massage after, but personally, I wouldn't have done that straight after the race. The muscles would have been too sore to put something like that through. Sure. No, some great tips there, Renee. And then the final point that I wanted to touch on was 
you're actually going to go into now a proper rest and recovery stage now. Um, you've completed your main goal for the season. As you said, you have to just drag that out an extra two or three months. And now for, for me, Rene, you're actually taking the very disciplined approach to taking, is it two to three weeks off, I think, that you said you were going to do. It's something, Rene, that I failed to do over the years um, myself because after a big race, my attitude was always, um, well, listen, I'm going to get sick at one time over the winter or I'm going to pick up some injury over the winter time. That's when I'll stop, when I'm forced to stop. And I never actually chose myself to stop because I could or because I had a two-week window after my main race. I've always kept on going, um, which, you know, in hindsight, it, it just doesn't work long-term. Right? It would eventually catch up with you. But for any of our listeners, maybe just take them through the thought process of that, that you've got through your big race, and now you will put the feet up for a couple of weeks. Now, you won't just sit there doing nothing, of course. I, I imagine you're going to stay active, but you are taking the disciplined approach to take your active recovery. Yeah, the plan basically is to to take three to four weeks off. And I'll go a little bit by how I feel, you know, in terms of the, the total length. You know, traditionally, people always used to say you have to rest um, a day per mile you've raced. But of course, you know, that, that rule, they didn't mean total rest in that saying. But that rule obviously breaks down for ultra training because you can't, you know, you, you would be resting way too many days if you use that. But also... Um, as we discussed, I think before we jumped on this call, Owen, for some, for many different reasons, uh, you actually recover quicker from quite long trail races than you would from a road marathon. And as we said, it has to do with I think that in a marathon you keep your heart rate extremely high the whole way, um, and you are on one even monotonous hard terrain. So. But despite that, you know, as you say, there's two approaches to this. And I used to do yours, which was just only rest when forced to. Um, and part of the reason was my hero, Arthur Lydiard, said a lot of great things. But some of the stuff he said maybe got overinterpreted. Because one thing he said is if you rest, um, he said, even if you rest one day a week, you're basically giving away, what was it? He says something like, you're gifting away nearly seven weeks of training over the course of a year. So he didn't believe in rest weeks at all. Um, but we know that, for instance, Kenyan athletes um, who will train at fantastic levels most of the year will often take a month where they barely do anything. And the the basic idea behind it is that you, your body will need some point in time to just focus on nothing but rejuvenating. Uh, because we mentioned earlier in this call that there is these two systems, your fight and flight system, which is the sympathetic nervous system, and the parasympathetic rest and digest system. And we have stressful lives, most of us, to begin with. So over time, that relationship can get out of whack, and especially when you then are always asking the body to do something. So there has to be a point when you give a repayment where you say, now the focus is just on you relaxing, catching up, um, it's a bit like a hibernation nearly, Owen, is a way to think of it. Um, you know, that you you, you know, go into a three weeks hibernation to refresh, rejuvenate, and then you come back out of your cocoon. And you might have lost a little bit of fitness because you didn't train so much for three weeks. But for most people who do this properly and who don't go back too early, which is very tempting sometimes because you can feel, you can after two weeks, sometimes you can feel nearly normal. and then, But then when you ramp right back into it, that's when a niggle occurs. It's very typical. Yeah. So I think three to three to four weeks is 
that's a very sensible approach after a big, long, hard race. And as you said, it's not about just lying on the couch for two weeks, although that can be necessary maybe sometimes for a week or two. You can go for walks. You can even, once you can feel that the muscles seem to be normal, that your stride mechanics are okay, you know, there's no unusual tightness or kind of pain around the way you move, then you can start jogging again. But I generally, and this is something I learned from an Italian coach, uh, he said for the first four weeks after a big race marathon and up, no runs over an hour, try and do as much um, cross-training as you can to rebuild areas of your fitness that has been destroyed. And just to make that, for me, I have I bought this e-learning course called Anatomy in Motion a few months ago. And because of all this thing that's going on, I never got to start it because I, I just had enough to do with doing what I'm already doing. So I plan to use these three weeks as an opportunity to revisit that course and spend a lot of time because I'm hoping this will improve my gait and it's going to help repair some of the, you could say the, the damage, both physical and in terms of movement, that can happen in a big race like this. Because you can acquire some bad habits if you don't repair some of the muscle trauma that occurs. So you actually start the next training cycle with a gait that's worse. You know, and, and that's often that what part of the whole thing that creates these injuries that you don't really understand where it came from. Well, listen, Rene, thanks a million, as always, for, for that superb advice, for, for sharing your Kerryway Ultra experience with us. And, and a big shout out, Rene, as well, to one of your athletes who got a great bronze, um, a great third place in the, in the Kerryway Ultra, Judy McNamee, who's been one of your pupils over the last couple of years. Yeah, delighted for her. You know, she was a late shift. She had, was meant to do EcoTrail 80K here at the end of the month. And then she shifted uh, to the full carryway instead, you know, just a small step up in distance of 120K. Uh, but she's a very, she's she's great at what she does. I think she's a natural for that event. And, um, you know, she took, she, I think she realized early on that Aoife Mundo, and I forget who finished second now, were were a level apart on the day. So once she found her natural position in the race, she played her cards well, you know, and she she got herself into third place uh, in a reasonable state and she went out for a 20 minute walk today on super and i'm sure um, coach rene is a proud man uh, well listen rene well done if anybody wants to find out more information about rene's coaching philosophies as you've just heard they're they're the second to none they're superb and if anybody wants to get in touch with rene you can do so on runningcoach.ie on facebook and on instagram as well rene enjoy your couple of weeks off i will thank you all all the best take care